Hello, and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Dalton. I'm excited to announce this week's podcast is brought to you by our friends at Athletic Greens. You may remember Athletic Greens from our time in 2020, and I'm super stoked they're joining us again in 2021. It's a product I've been using for the last, gosh, it must be at least three years. Kind of post-cancer, I recognize that I simply wasn't covering my nutritional bases every day, and I investigated multivitamins, and it just wasn't something that resonated with me. I discovered Athletic Greens actually through another podcast, and it was a bit of a leap of faith. I hadn't tried a product like this, and I sort of, maybe I'm gun-shy of investing in my health, which seems crazy for me to articulate, but at the end of the day, I decided now was the time. I'm getting older. I just turned 50, and it was critical that I started getting all the vitamins and minerals that the body needs. The product has over 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients that are blended together in this green powder that you just mix with water. My personal process is I take three ice cubes. I like it cold. I find it tastes best then. And I shake it up every day when I get a chance, whether it's in the morning or in the afternoon, and I just drink it. It's easy. It gives me zinc for better muscle recovery and better sleep magnesium for nervous system recovery and sleep, high dosage of vitamin C. I also take a vitamin D supplement from Athletic Greens, which comes in an eyedropper, and it's just a couple drops. Actually, one drop a day gives you more than twice, I think, the amount of vitamin D that is recommended by doctors, which is a great way to kind of keep yourself safe I also, a couple years ago, learned that Athletic Green is NSF certified for sport, which means they take the product seriously. They're consistently testing it and auditing it to make sure what is on the label is actually in the pouch. And that's what enables them to have a relationship with USA Cycling and Olympic athletes because they know this product is pure and they don't have to worry about anything slipping into the ingredients list. Anyway, it means a ton that our friends at Athletic Greens are back for 2021. The only way they see value in this relationship, obviously, is if you guys go and check it out. So if you could, just visit athleticgreens.com slash thegravelride. Check out the options there. See if it's right for you. And if it is, definitely hit me up. I'd love to hear your feedback. Like I said, this relationship with Athletic Greens personally dates way back before the podcast, and it's something that I invest in every day for my own personal health. So big thanks to our friends at Athletic Greens. This week on the podcast, we've got Patrick Carey, one of the coaches at Speed Science Coaching out of New York. In the Ridership Forum, there was a conversation about the skills required for gravel cycling and how someone, whether they're coming from road or mountain, what are the five skills that they really need to acquire to excel at gravel cycling? Patrick jumped into that conversation on the forum and offered a few tips, and I thought it would be great to have him break it down in his own words. There are some videos on the Speed Science Coaching YouTube channel that'll give you a sense of some of the positioning things we're talking about, because I know that can be tricky to visualize when you're just hearing him talk about it. But I thought it was great to offer the listener just sort of a primer on the things you can work on. I love the suggestion of getting into a flat, grassy field and just kind of working through some of this stuff, because a lot of times when you're out there on a gravel ride, things are coming at you fast and furious, and it's hard to kind of break down the technique. So going out there and practice, something which is pretty common, I think, in the cyclocross crowd, is important to improving your gravel cycling skill set in general. So with that, let's dive right into my conversation with Patrick Carey. Patrick, welcome to the show. Hey, Craig, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. You know, it's interesting. You know, you and I met back at Sea Otter in 2019, which seems like ages ago, but have also reconnected in the ridership forum. So it was great to sort of get you on the mic and have the listener learn a thing or two about you and get into this great discussion about gravel cycling skills. Yeah, I'm really excited for that. So why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about your background? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Let's see. I've been been riding uh, seriously slash competitively for a bit over 20 years. Um, I've done a little bit of everything from uh, a lot of road racing. And as a junior, 
some triathlon. And now, um, you know, probably the last, the bulk of, of my time has been focused on, uh, mountain bike and cyclocross. And then the last couple of years really enjoying gravel as well. Nice. And you've got a, a coaching business as well, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So that's, that's my full-time profession. Uh, we've been going strong since 2013. So it's uh, called speed science coaching. And, uh, yeah, we work with, with all manners of endurance athletes, but we really specialize in, uh, cyclists and multi-sport athletes. Nice. And some of the, you know, some of the conversation in the ridership forum that I picked up on, it was great seeing you offering advice on technique as well as training and the conversation that was going on from a newer gravel cyclist was asking, you know, what are the skills as a road cyclist coming to gravel that I really need to focus on? So I thought it'd be awesome if I could get you to break down, say, like the top five skills you think a gravel cyclist needs to master in order to maximize their performance. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And uh, uh, let's um, let's also recognize, too, that, you know, whether you're coming from a road background or a mountain bike, you know, gravel is just a little bit of a different beast, especially if you're riding, you know, on, say, a gravel specific bike. Um, so, you know, really, this this will apply to anybody who's who's new to that type of riding. Um, I, I would even put myself in that category. You know, I've been riding a long time and I really only started riding gravel seriously back in like 2018, 2019. Um, so, yeah, it's it's uh, it's this neat blending of a lot of different um uh, skills and a lot of different, uh, attributes of riding. Yeah, it's so, so fast. Yeah. It's so fascinating kind of looking at it from the listener's perspective. I'm sure many of you out there come from a road background, but some will also come from a mountain bike background. And as you said, you're going to bring different skill sets to gravel and there's going to be things honestly that you may have to unlearn when you get on the gravel bike and riding off road. Uh, but certainly plenty of things you can learn and modify, that are going to make you a better gravel cyclist. Yeah, I agree. And I would say actually probably a better cyclist in general too. You know, you can take those to the other disciplines and, um, and, and some of the keys, um, really like you hit the nail on the head as far as there's a few things to unlearn here and there. And we'll touch on those as we go through. Um, but you know, there's, there's habits that we build up, um, especially when we're road riding that, um, don't really serve us when we get into, you know, bumpier terrain or loose terrain, um, yeah, so I think that'll make a big difference for folks. Yeah, and the other thing you highlighted, which I think is important to note, is that gravel cycling means so many different things to so many people, depending on where you are in the world. So that's going to be something that'll be a theme as a listener listens to what we're talking about. You know, if you're just riding on gravel roads, you just may be concerned about, you know, sliding out in a corner and different techniques around that. Whereas navigating a rock garden is not really in your worldview of gravel cycling. Yeah, it's true. But, but, uh, I would say, you know, like the thing I love about, uh, gravel riding and riding that type of bike is that you can mix all of that terrain into one kind of ride. Uh, you know, so like from, from our house, we'll oftentimes, you know, we, we live on a paved road, but we'll, you know, within a mile, we can get into dirt roads and we'll take those into unimproved dirt roads and then we hook them over into some mountain bike single track and then loop back through all of that stuff. So it's, it's, uh, you know, once you get, uh, some of these skills under your belt, the world kind of becomes your oyster with, you can ride that bike just about anywhere. Yeah. I mean, that's been one of those lessons as we talked about offline about the pandemic It's just this idea that you can you can ride out on your favorite local road and then see a footpath or a trail off to the side. And with a proper gravel bike, you can go and explore it. Absolutely. I mean, that was, that was the, the eye opener for me. The first ride I went out on a proper gravel bike is, Oh, I don't have to ride past those things anymore. You know, like if you were on a mountain bike, you were kind of focused on trails. If you were on a road bike, you'd be riding past all those great things and going, Oh, geez, like, I wonder what's up there. Now you don't have to wonder you get to go explore them. That's exactly it. So let's jump into our sort of top five tips for what riders should be thinking about as they're building their skill set. Sounds good. All right. So the first one uh, I, I would kind of classify as floating through rough terrain. So this is one that's really going to apply for the, the road rider who's getting into gravel. 
And, you know, the the biggest difference you're going to see is that, you know, you're not riding on a smooth paved road anymore. It's got bumps. It's got holes. Um, it's got potentially, you know, square edged things that you need to to hop over to, you know, avoid um, smacking your wheels on. Um, you know, so I think the easiest way to describe this is getting comfortable with bike body separation. So, uh, you know, when we, when we ride on the road, we're almost always sitting on the saddle or we're standing up to pedal, but we don't often, um, get into the kind of float mode where we're hovering above the saddle and, you know, we're keeping our weight ideally on our feet as opposed to, to our hands. Um, but you know, this, this ability to, to separate your bike, uh, and body allows that bike you know, most gravel bikes don't have suspension. So we want to allow that bike to float under us. Um, you know, and, and if you're talking about, you know, the allowing say a 20 pound bike to move around under you, that's a lot different than the bike plus you having to move as one unit. Um, and, and the biggest thing that gives you is it gives you the ability to smooth things out and also to relax, right? If you're, if you're getting popped around, if you're, if you're, uh, tense and, and, and hanging on for dear life, what ends up happening is every bump that the bike hits, hits you as well. And so now you're getting, you know, pushed up and down left and right. So just being able to, you know, be comfortable hovering out of the saddle being, um, you know, this is where, uh, gosh, a, a dropper post makes a difference when we get onto descents, you know, getting yourself a little bit of room so that that bike can naturally move around. Uh, you know, you, it's been described as uh, as like getting into the attack position, right, where you're crouching uh, with bent knees, bent elbows, and that way, you know, you're you're allowing yourself to uh, to provide some natural suspension for the bike. Yeah, I think this and, is uh, one. This is one that the athlete gets a lot of feedback immediately as soon as they go off road. You're you're spot on. You know, when you're on your road bike, you may spend an entire hour sitting in the saddle pedaling at your proper cadence. But off-road, you don't have that luxury. And as I said, fortunately, the bike is going to give you that feedback initially. And it's just important to acknowledge, okay, if I can get that little bit of space between my bottom and the saddle, the bike can move, as you described, and the hits are going to come um, a lot fewer and, and certainly a lot harsher to the body, which is going, it, it adds up over time if you're taking a lot of body abuse. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And if you figure, you know, mile after mile on say either a washboard surface or, you know, or even just, even just a single, you know, bumpy descent, you know, you're, you're, you can go from, you know, if you're doing this right, you can be totally relaxed and feeling good at the bottom or, you know, if you are, you know, tensed up, you know, your arms are going to be just about cramping at the bottom of that descent. So yeah, it makes a big, big difference. And for me, you mentioned droppers, and I certainly won't get on my soapbox about the value of a dropper post. But I will say, when you're on a sustained descent, something where you know you're not going to be back on the saddle, you're not going to be in that perfect pedaling position at all, being able to move the saddle down and give that buffer a little bit more buffer allows the bike to navigate the bumps and have space to kind of hop up and down without jamming you up. Absolutely. I, I have a dropper on my gravel bike. I think it makes a world of difference. And I, so something I found over the years with uh, coming from mountain biking, um, you know, when, when you ride, say, like a big enduro bike, something with a lot of travel, it makes sense to have a, a lot of, of dropper post. Um, but what people got hung up on was they said, oh, geez, like on a cross country bike, I don't need that. But I found over the years that the less travel a bike has in its suspension, the more a dropper post helps. And if you think of most gravel bikes, uh, you know, all but one I can think of, uh, you know, or two, there's, there is no suspension. So, you know, it's, uh, giving yourself that, that extra travel, you know, both it allows you to get into a lower crouch, but it also allows you, as you said, room to, to, uh, pull the bike up. You know, you can do that, that simple style, like roadie hop, uh, bunny hop to just yank the bike up over holes or over a bump makes a big difference. Yeah. And the interesting thing I discovered, many people think of the dropper post as being a binary thing. You're either up or you're down, but the reality is all these posts have range. So I often find myself lowering it just slightly in places where I'm going to be doing um, more pedaling than descending, for example. And even that creates just a lot more freedom to throw the bike around. 
It really does. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. So enough dropper post prophesizing. <laughs> I know I'm stuck on it, so I have to be conscious to move away that it doesn't make sense for everybody. So that's a great tip floating through the rough travel. What, what would you say is your second tip? All right. So the next one is turning. And again, this is one that uh, is, is going to matter a lot to the road rider. You know, so, um, you know, the biggest difference when you're talking about turns on gravel versus, uh, you know, paved road is the traction difference, right? So, uh, you know, on a, on a paved road, you can get away with a lot of things, um, because you have generally very good traction. Um, and I think sometimes that leads to building some bad habits, uh, you know, where, where people are, um, you know, they're not necessarily cornering with technique more. They're just getting through them, but they can get through them pretty well. You know, when you start taking away the traction, all of a sudden, you know, it's a different ball of wax. So, uh, let's, let's just preface this by saying also that, um, over a certain speed, which I figure somewhere in the five to seven mile an hour range, um, you can't really steer the bike by turning the bars. Um, when you're doing that and the traction is not very good, that leads to the front wheel trying to plow in a straight line and, you know, and the dreaded front wheel slip out. So we need to get comfortable with the idea of leaning the bike, but where it's different from riding on pavement is we need to lean the bike without leaning ourselves. Um, and there's two reasons for that. One, we're trying to get as much weight as we can on the outside of the bike, specifically the outside pedal, right? We want to get that pedal generally down to the bottom and just stomp on it with all of our weight. So now our, our weight is basically, uh, if you lean the bike over, you now put the weight in line with your tires. But the key part also is you're making your weight um, in a place that if the bike starts to slide, which it's gravel, it's going to slide from time to time. You want the bike to slide under you so that you're, you're staying, uh, in balance. If you're leaning your shoulders and your upper body into a turn, like you would more on a road bike, if that bike slips out, you're, you're going to basically fall to the inside and you're going to take away any weight that was on your tires. So it's, um, you know, this is something that would be much more, uh, akin to, you know, how a mountain bike racer would corner. But I think it's also, if you look at like the best, uh, cyclocross racers, that's how they would be turning because they're always cornering at the limit of the traction of their tires. Uh, you know, and I, so I think that's, that's just really, it's important to recognize that, um, you know, if we don't change that, we're going to be extremely speed limited in how we can go through turns. And then also, um, with that, if when, um, you know, when things aren't going how you want them to in a turn, like, let's say you came in a little too hot, right. And now you're going, uh Oh, like I might not make this turn. Um, that's the case of where like committing to that lean and committing to not wrestling with your handlebars, like trying to wrestle to steer them a bit more, uh, by actually turning the front wheel. That's where you're going to ensure that you can help the bike get around that turn. You know, when we, when we start to say tense up or, you know, get on the brakes in that turn, um, we're going to do one of two things. We're either going to slide our wheels out or we're going to make the bike want to stand up. Um, kind of just like what happened, uh, to a motorcycle. If you get on the brakes on, uh, on a motorcycle in the turn, you stand it up and you almost guarantee that you don't make the turn. So it's, it's just really important to, to get comfortable with that feeling of, you know, getting into that proper position of leaning the bike, standing ourselves up almost, you know, almost straight up and down over that outside pedal. And then if, uh, if things aren't going well, don't, don't freak out, like be patient, uh, let the bike come through the turn and, uh, you're almost guaranteed it's going to come through. Yeah. It's something that I had the, the privilege of getting coached on, on a downhill bike in Whistler. And it was, not at all how I sort of learned or heard how you turn on the road. So it's it's fascinating to kind of get get up over the bike while you're leaning the bike itself and not your body over the bike. Yeah. And and so there's a there's a really easy drill that you can do for this. And actually we have a video on the the Speed Science Coaching uh YouTube channel showing this for a mountain bike, but it's the same idea for for a gravel bike or even a cyclocross bike. And basically what you can do to practice is 
Um, let's say you want to practice leaning the bike to the right. So you're going to stand up and put all of your weight on the left pedal. So the left pedal will be down and then just shift only the bars, shift the bars to the side to lean the bike without moving the rest of your body. And so what will happen is the bike is hinging over and, you know, and you're, you're keeping your weight on the outside pedal. And if you were to look at your tires too, you know, that's an important thing to recognize is that, um, oftentimes we're riding very minimalist tires on a gravel bike, but most of those tires are going to have some kind of cornering knob more significant than whatever's in the middle of the tread by leaning the bike over, we're maximizing the hookup of the, that cornering tread, you know, and it's, it's something that's very obvious on a mountain bike tire, you know, those big blocky cornering knobs. But, you know, we, we have much smaller but still very useful cornering knobs on a gravel tire. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think turning is something that the listener needs to take slowly and build the skills around. The other variable, obviously, is that we're not always going to be on hard pack dirt. Depending on where you are in the country, we could have, you know, loose gravel on top of it or rocks. And the bike behaves very differently in those situations. And the best way I can sort of describe it is I've always thought about sort of putting things in the bank, the visual bank about things I've ridden over in the past. And as I'm entering a turn or any section for that matter, I'm scanning my mind for experiences that look similar to what I'm about to approach. And I can adjust the technique accordingly. Obviously, if it's loose gravel and you go in with a super lean, you're going to slide out. So you've got to make some adjustments based on your speed and your technique as you address different types of cornering situations. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, I think, uh, you know, key there too is, is with that mental bank, you're building a, a reference for what speed can you go into something with, you know, and that's, that's key. And I, my recommendation would be, um, work your way up. Like don't, don't just, uh, go bombing into turns and, um, you know, and hope for the best, like work your way up in speed, you know, so that you can, can, uh, safely find, you know, where your comfortable limits are, but you're also like, you're going to build good habits much easier than if you are, uh, having bad experiences, you know, bad experiences usually lead to us then, uh, you know, riding much more tense, much more cautious. And, and unfortunately that becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you're riding tense and cautious, it, you're actually like getting in the way of the bike. You might start wrestling with the steering. You might be more apt to break in a turn, so, you know, build up that, like you said, that library, but build it up uh, incrementally, be, you know, uh, and, and conservatively. Yeah. And obviously we, we, we ride where we ride these gravel bikes. There's absolutely twists and turns all over the place. So if you can build up this skill set, you will find that when you're out riding with friends or on a group ride, those skills will play big dividends in your ability to keep up with people and do it safely and comfortably. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So turning another great tip. What's your third tip? Okay. So, uh, somewhat related, which, uh, would be breaking, right. And related it very much in the sense that, that we're, uh, breaking on, uh, less than perfect traction and also, you know, maybe dealing with bumps as, as we are. So, uh, you know, I think it's, it's super important to learn to really use our brakes independently. Um, so this is something I work on all the time when I work one-on-one -on -one with athletes for skills. And, uh, because it all, it almost, I used to think that it was certain disciplines built certain habits, but now I see it's, it's, um, you know, pretty universally people aren't super aware of what each break does for them and, um, you know, and how to modulate them independently. So, you know, the most important thing to, you know, the principle here is that the, on the, the less than stellar traction that we sometimes have on gravel, um, you know, probably 70, maybe even up to 80% of our braking traction is going to come from our front wheel. Yeah. And I think that's going to blow a few people's mind. If, if you let that sit in that 70 or 80% of your braking power could come from the front brake. Yeah. And, and so, uh, when I teach that to folks, um, oftentimes, you know, they, there's, it's exactly, there's a little bit of disbelief there. So what I'll do, I'll have them, um, you know, we'll set up either cones or, uh, you know, a, a painted box and, uh, have them, uh, ride at it 
you know, at a very good clip and then using, say, either only their back break or only their front break, try and stop inside that box. And what you find is when you do only the back break and you grab a handful of it, you're instantly uh, skidding that back tire. And, you know, to the point where you just about feel like you're accelerating once you do it, um, but you're certainly not giving, uh, scrubbing any speed. And when you do it with your front tire, as long as you're shifting your weight back, which really means just shifting your hips back on the bike as you do it, you can stop on a dime with your front brake. You know, a lot of us now, you know, most, uh, well, let's, it's probably safe to say almost all bikes, uh, you know, that are out on the gravel world are riding disc brakes. Um, but even if you're not, it's the same principle, but I mentioned disc brakes because we get all of this power out of them, but we get modulation as well, which we didn't really have with the rim brakes. Yeah. I think when we, as, as, as cyclists growing up, someone along the way has told you, don't grab your front brake. You're going to flip over the handlebars. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and the truth is like, if you, and I probably incur, I would encourage the listener to do this, find a flat section in a field, set up a couple objects. So, you know, and, and get a sense for it because it, it does take a lot of bad things to happen for you to flip over your handlebar by grabbing that front brake. If, as you said, if you shift, shift your hips back because the bike, you know, it's, you're going to have the weight to keep it down. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and, you know, when we're now in the modern world with these disc brakes, you know, it it used to be when you were running, you know, V brakes or cantilever brakes, um, what you, what would end up happening is if you did have enough leverage to have power, it was kind of like an on off switch for your tire, you know, for, for your wheel spinning with the, with a disc brake, you have just, you have modulation. So you can you can go almost to that point of of locking up and stopping the wheel, but you can then feather it just shy of that point. And you know that that idea of modulation is really important too, because you know as I said, we're going to get three quarters or more of our braking power out of the front, but we don't want the back to just be along for the ride. We might as well get something out of that. But the 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 uh, the drill that I mentioned as far as, you know, learning to use those brakes independently, learning what each one does, that's the idea of teaching to use your front brake as your default for most of the power and then get comfortable, uh, you know, feathering that, fr- that rear brake on to get more to help it. Um, and then also once you start to learn, uh, what your brakes do, you can start to apply them in different places. So like I mentioned, braking in a turn is generally not a great idea, Um, you know, when we're coming into a turn, we want to set our speed when the bike is upright, hopefully when we have better traction, but then when we're into the turn, we want to be generally off the brakes. But if we have to slow down, you know, there can be times when, you know, either, either you're still on a, a steep downhill. And so you're still, uh, getting pulled by gravity or you're just coming in a little too hot for what comes next. That's where the back brake starts to be your friend. Uh, and in the motorcycle world and, and others, they call it trail braking, where you're, you're, you're using your, your trailing wheel to, uh, to help slow you down. And if the back brake, let's say you got a little too heavy on it in a turn, worst thing that happens is your back tire slides a little bit. That's not that big of a deal. It's a lot better than your front wheel uh, sliding out on you. And also the back brake, the back wheel is going to be far less likely to stand the bike up and fight you in the turn. Right. Yeah, I think braking is another one of those things that as a newer athlete, you just need to go out and practice these things and get the feel. And then once you get the feel on the flat ground, then as you apply it to your descent, you can start figuring out and testing and trying different techniques to try to find the right combination for any section that you're approaching. Absolutely. And I think that key is 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 really important to practice. Uh, you know, when when I work with athletes on skills, uh, we don't just go start, say, on a piece of single track or or out on a gravel road. We we start in a park or in a in a bike park, and the reason is we're trying to remove some of the the um, the complexity and and just allow to practice a, a specific skill. And you know, it makes a huge difference to be able to to learn and acquire those skills. Um, you know, you can, you're far more able to experiment, right? Because if something doesn't go right, you're on grass or, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're not bombing down some big descent. 
uh, or, you know, or on a narrow trail. So, and also, uh, you know, certainly there's no uh, traffic around, you know, that's, we want to learn these things in a safe place, but we really want to spend time practicing. Um, and it can even be as simple as, you know, go, you know, at the end of a, a ride, you know, practice something in your front yard or, or, you know, stop at the park on the way home, practice for 10 minutes. You know, if you do that a couple times a week it really adds up. Yeah, it is. You understand skidding can be fun in the right environment. So, and it's a great skill to understand. You want to understand when you're going to make your bike skid out, what type of application of the brake is going to cause that and how to handle it when it does, because last thing you want to do is be surprised when you're legitimately out there on a ride. Yeah. Great tip. So that's breaking number three. Let's move on to number four. All right. So the next one is climbing. So, uh, you know, the reason I bring this up is, you know, it's, there's, there's a super common theme here, which is right. There's bumps and, uh, and mixed traction when you get onto gravel and, you know, that really shows up when we get onto climbs. And I think, you know, it's, it's worth pointing out too, that oftentimes on, uh, on gravel roads and trails, you're going to be going up something much steeper than you would be used to going up on a paved road. So, um, you know, learning to manage your traction as you're climbing is a really important skill and it can, it can make the difference between something being, um, you know, rideable versus unrideable and, you know, or just, you know, uh, being really frustrating when you, you know, you just, you're watching other people go up it and you just cannot, um, you know, most of the time it's not often, uh, you know, a strength limiter for folks. It's, it's, you know, technique becomes huge with, when you're talking about, going up a steep, loose climb. So, uh, something that, that, um, I borrow on pretty heavily from the cyclocross world is the idea of, um, shifting up a gear or two more than you would normally, uh, ride a climb in. And, you know, I'm a, a big fan of spinning when you can, you know, spinning a nice high cadence, but when you're spinning, uh, and the traction is not great, especially if there's bumps, it's very easy for, for you to, you know, on that, that, uh, downstroke, that power stroke of your, your pedaling. If you happen to slip right then in a small gear, you know, zip, you're, you're just, you'll very quickly, uh, turn that into a full spin out. Um, what the, there's two reasons that cyclocross riders, um, ride in a bigger gear. One is they get a little more traction out of it. And if their wheel slips, it's not the, it's not the end of that pedal stroke. They get more travel out of it. And they also, it allows them to, uh, to suspend their body slightly above the saddle because they're pushing with more torque on the pedals. And that's another thing that makes a big difference is getting out of the saddle, like being willing to get out of the saddle and move around on the bike, even on a climb. Um, you know, usually what ends up happening for road riders is it's kind of a binary thing. They're either sitting on the saddle uh, spinning or, or even turning away, you know, uh, uh, at a low cadence, but they're, they're either sitting or they stand up and move forward on the bike to, to, you know, just to, to get that extra power or, or even just a change of position. But what ends up happening is if you, if those are your only two positions, when you're climbing, you're missing that key one, which is, uh, in between where you're hovering on the bike and you're trying to keep yourself pretty balanced between the wheels. Uh, you know, I'm sure you've seen Craig, like, you know, some of the, the, uh, the roads and trails you go on and certainly some of the, the famous events, they have these super steep climbs where if you are too far back on the bike, you're probably lifting your front wheel off the ground, yeah. you know, or if you're getting too forward, you're spinning out. Yep. Yeah, exactly. You know, one of the things you mentioned, which I think is very true, um, is just as road riders come into off-road climbs, there's a, a sense of frustration in many cases, because their forward progress is disrupted by the natural obstacles of rocks and roots and things they're going over. And it can be very disconcerting. I know many a road cyclist who has come out with me who are far superior athletically and power wise to myself, but I can easily ride away from them off road because at this point, I'm just not disturbed by the fact that my bike is moving around because of rocks and roots. I know how to adapt my pedal stroke. Maybe I'm up a, a gear, as you said, so that I can just go through it. And it, it's a, a shift in mindset as well as technique in, in my observation. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, and um, one thing that popped in my mind just then too was, 
um, being willing or able to uh, to ratchet the pedals here and there. Um, you know, let's say uh, there's now you're faced with either you know an extra steep little little huff to get up uh, over an obstacle, um, or you know you're you're actually having to lift your wheels to get over a, a ledge. Uh, that's where, uh, you know, it's very common for mountain bikers to, to ratchet their pedals. So they're not having to go all the way around again before they get another downstroke, you know, they'll push down and then pull their foot back up to get right back on the power for that little burst. Um, and it also prevents them from having their foot down as they're going over an obstacle that might, uh, you know, might snag their pedal or their foot. Yeah. And I think for the, for the mountain biker, and this certainly applies to gravel as well, there are moments when you're tackling an obstacle where the bike will stop all forward motion entirely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and the best athletes have an understanding that that's going to happen. And as you said, you need to then apply a little bit power, more power to the pedal to ratchet over something and then start going again. If you wear your roadie hat, how often do we ever stop the road bike save like stopping for a stop sign or something like that? You're never coming to a complete standstill as part of your route and then starting again without unclipping. Absolutely. And I think, um, I think it's really important to, you know, to get comfortable with that practice doing track stands, you know, practice being able to, you know, and, and if you can't do a track stand yet, practice just riding from point A to point B as absolutely slow as you can you know, and, and get comfortable with being able to, um, oftentimes you have to make a very quick shift with your weight to keep the bike in balance during those times. But it, it makes a huge difference to, to be comfortable with those momentary stalls, you know, without that meaning, Oh, now I have to unclip. Yeah, exactly. So maybe in your braking exercise that we talked about earlier, when you come to that complete stop, see if you can just sort of take a breath, take a beat, completely stopped, and then start your bike again, because that's the basics of what we're trying to describe. And what you really need to learn is that idea that you can be completely stopped, still in your pedals, and you can restart again. Absolutely. Yeah. So now we've talked about climbing as, as tip number four. We're up the mountain. What are we going to do now? What's tip five? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So tip five, right. What goes up must come down. Uh, so yeah. So descending. Um, you know, and this, this really, this is, this is somewhat of a catch all for a lot of the things we've talked about, because, you know, you need to, to be able to navigate the bumps. You need to, uh, to be able to oftentimes, um, hop over things. That's another thing I would definitely work on practicing. Um, and there's, there's, you know, there's two styles of bunny hop. And I think on a gravel bike, they're both very useful. So there's what, uh, for lack of a better term, I call the roadie hop, which is, you know, where you lunge your, your body up and then pull your, your, uh, feet and hands up to suck the bike up. You know, that's the kind of thing that most people would be relatively comfortable doing on the road. If say there was a pothole, they had to hop. Um, that's really handy, you know, at higher speeds on a gravel bike, because, you know, uh, you don't have to get very high over something and you're going to have enough hang time to clear it. But also, um, you know, depending on how, uh, how chunky the terrain you're going to ride is, um, I think it's very helpful to to work on more of like a mountain bike or cyclocross style hop. Um, and it, it, another uh, thing that we have on our uh, Speed Science Coaching YouTube page, we have some tutorials on hopping. Those uh, they're demonstrated on a mountain bike, but the technique is exactly the same for a gravel bike. If you're if you're going for a proper you know high bunny hop, um, you know, and then uh, I'll. I'll uh, I'll bait you a little bit, Craig, uh, with the dropper post again, because this is where I think dropper posts shine. Um, I use my dropper post constantly. And the, the thing I find interesting, I, I'm so used to using it. I now use it on paved descents as well. And I find I'm able to ride those descents faster and more comfortably than if the seat was up. Uh, you know, it just it, it, it really um I know there are holdouts, uh, but I can tell you that if you get used to riding one and you incorporate it into your riding, it makes a massive difference. And I think I think one of the keys that oftentimes if someone's tried it and didn't like it, um, oftentimes the difference is that they, they had a remote to actuate it that was not easy to reach from where they normally ride their hands. So you see a lot of people riding a, a dropper post with uh, remote, they have to say, go to the middle of the bars or, you know, and, and push with their thumb. That's a, a step that you're not going to do when, um, when things are starting to hit the fan. 
So it's it's much easier if you know if you have a one by convert the left shifter to do it or put a put a remote in the bend of the drop, uh, and then all of a sudden it becomes this tool that you can use at any time. Patrick, now you done gone winded me up again about this. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm seriously, I'm, I am with you. Like road descending, like for the roadie out there, and maybe there's not a lot of them listening, but if you can remove the saddle from being high in the pocket and, and have a little bit more room down there to lean the bike, it is absolutely game changing from a confidence perspective. And honest, and honestly, as you said, like if you've got a well set up dropper post. To me, the only objection that is is valid is that it's adding some extra weight. And I do get that people can be weight conscious on these these pieces of equipment. But for me, like I'll take that weight any day, time you offer it to me. Because what I've found overwhelmingly is that I can outperform people without dropper posts, regardless of skill level, nine times out of ten because I just have that big of a technical or sorry, equipment advantage underneath me. Yeah. And, and if I'll, uh, so the weight weenie folks, I'll, uh, I'll, um, appeal to their, uh, competitiveness. So, uh, you know, you watch people, uh, in road races doing this, the super tuck position, right. Where they get basically on the top tube and their, their butt is under the saddle. It is so dangerous, uh, you know, and should only be performed. Uh, well, it's argument, there's an argument to be made that it shouldn't and nobody should be doing it. But when you're you push a dropper post down, you now have a super tuck position, but you're on top of the saddle. So it's super safe. Yep. Yeah, exactly. It's it's really it's it is game changing. So we'll we'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've been through our f- five tips. So is there anything as we've been talking that you're thinking, hey, I, I got to mention this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, th- I think there's uh, there's two things that come to mind. Um, the first one is um, is sand riding, you know, and and this is a little bit different than the fact that you know we're riding on gravel or loose terrain. This is you know if you're faced with you know those honest to goodness like sand pits, the you know the really loose deep sand. Um, this is something that I think almost no matter what discipline you're coming from, except for some cyclocross racers, depending on what their their the courses in their region are like. Um, most people just don't get exposed to, to deep sand riding. Um, and, and I know it can be, um, downright frustrating for folks to figure out how to navigate it. So, um, you know, the, I think the easiest way I can put it is, um, we really, uh, need to not be steering our bikes or, you know, putting in uh, big steering inputs here. Um, because that's where the, right. The wheel is going to, the sand is going to catch that wheel and, um, and it's going to try to keep that turn going. So you'll, you'll just end up in a wrestling match of, of overcorrection with the steering. Um, it's another case where shifting into a higher gear makes all the difference in the world. Uh, you know, we do not want to be trying to spin in sand. Um, it, it's the, the biggest reason being that um, we want that extra torque on the pedals. We want that extra torque on the wheels to help keep the bike relatively upright. And it also, um, that's another case where it allows us to, um, by having that extra torque on the pedals, we can be hovering, even if it's just an inch above the saddle, you know, when, when you watch, um, like really high level cyclocross racers going through the sand, they, they look like they're sitting squarely on the seat, but they're not, they're actually hovering slightly. And that's allowing the bike to make these micro movements under them without it becoming like a big macro movement that takes them with it. Um, and I think also, um, you know, really making sure that you are, um, you know, look for ruts where they exist, um, and don't try and fight it. If you find yourself in one, that's one of those cases where you really have to go with the rut. Um, but also, you know, be, be looking at the, the terrain, uh, as that's coming, um, to try and, and plot a general route through as opposed to, you know, okay, I'm going to put my wheel exactly here and exactly here. You know, you have to go with the sand quite a bit more. Yeah. You know, you talk about steering and I, I always think about on sand, the, the front wheel is going to move around. You're going to get a lot of feedback in your handlebar. And you, as you said, you cannot wrestle it. You, you don't want to be on the front brake. I always tend to put my weight a little bit further back to keep the front end light. Cause I don't want to get my tire bogged down into any, any bit of the sand. And 
it is very it's a very disconcerting type of terrain to ride through particularly if you haven't done it before and even when you have i tell you there was as in my stay down in topanga the last couple of months there was a section at the end of a long fire road downhill where i could get a lot of speed and it was probably a hundred foot section of sand and every time i went through it i was quite terrified knowing that you know i was going to hit it with speed but I needed to just let the bike move where it was going to move and generally keep myself upright over the machine and I would get through it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, I think, uh, you know, attacking it a little bit, you know, as far as being willing to generate and keep your momentum up, that makes a big difference. But, but then at the same time being relaxed and, and letting that bike move, you know, it's finding that, that balance between the two. Yeah. The good news is if sand is where you choose to crash, it's probably the most favorable place to crash. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Usually you're not, yeah, you're not hitting rocks and such as you, uh, as you come down. Exactly. Anything else you want to share on tips? Yeah. 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 So I think, I think the last thing would be, um, you know, like learning to, um, to, to look ahead further, um, you know, like, um, you know, really using your vision to plot a course for where you're headed you know, if, especially if you're used to riding on the road, um, you know, you, you can get away with, with looking just about anywhere most of the time, as long as you see what's coming, uh, you know, before you get there, um, on the mountain bike, um, people, you know, this is almost a cliche now, you know, look ahead, look where you want to go. But I find that people still, um, especially just because mountain bike speeds are oftentimes a little lower, they tend to look, sort of a fixed distance in front of them, you know, maybe 30 feet or so. Um, I think the best way to do it, and this is, this is actually what I teach riders regardless of what discipline they're in, um, is to, to scan their eyes. So, you know, maybe send, uh, spend 70% of the time looking, uh, way up ahead so that, you know, that's how you're, you're keeping things from being a surprise. Uh, and then, you know, that the rest of that 30% of the time, um, scan your eyes back closer, you know, so that you can make the micro adjustments in your course. Um, and then also, you know, like, uh, one of the, the, one of my absolute all time favorite events is the Vermont Overland. Uh, it's, it's, uh, a race that, you know, it has a little bit of pavement, a ton of gravel, and then they have these, uh, these, uh, they call them Vermont pave sections, which is essentially, um, like a really gnarly, uh, four wheel drive road. Um, nothing you could drive even in a, like a, say a stock pickup truck. Um, and, and, you know, now we're taking gravel bikes through these things and the, the folks that do the best in them are able to, uh, to look ahead and plot their course long before they get to each feature. So that way they're setting themselves up to say, you know, be on the correct side of the road for the thing that they want to navigate, or if they have to, you know, cross and get over to the other side, um, you know, but that, that idea of that vision, um, making sure you're planning ahead a little bit, uh, makes a massive difference because the last thing you want to do is be surprised by a hole you didn't see or some ledge that comes up that you didn't know was there or as big as you, you hoped it would be. Yeah, I think that's huge. I mean, a lot of people will have acquired some of these skills and mindset through downhill skiing or snowboarding yes, where it's, you know, it's so important to look ahead and similarly, you know, as you're addressing a new obstacle with your bike, you need to be able to make adjustments to your speed, your line, et cetera, well in advance of these obstacles, if you're going to be able to continue with the great momentum. So I find like the best athletes, momentum is king and they're doing everything they can to make adjustments to keep their momentum going, whether it's, you know, powering down through a flat into a rise so they don't have to pedal the entire hill on the way up or adjusting their line to, to have the smoothest course through a rock garden. All of these things add up and you see the big difference between the high performing riders versus the newer riders. Yeah, absolutely. And, but the cool thing is, you know, all of these skills, everything we mentioned here can be learned very easily. Like with none of these, I wouldn't classify any of these as advanced skills. These are, these are things that anybody can start working in uh, with a little bit of practice. And, and I think you hit it on the head, like having that mindset, right? The mindset of planning where you're going, the mindset of keeping your momentum up uh, makes all the difference. Yeah. Well, these were great tips. I will have all of them documented in the show notes. 
I'll have a link to the Speed Science website. I'll have a link to your YouTube channel so people can visualize some of the exercises and techniques and the body positioning that you've talked about. Because, you know, in many ways, it can be difficult hearing in your ears and translating this to the bike. But I think the bottom line is riders just need to get out and go through exercises to train themselves in these techniques. And those exercises are not out on your local ride. It's something very specific and intentional. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also, um, you know, either doing it with, you know, a friend or even on your own, um, it makes a difference because, you know, like if you're trying to practice things on rides, you know, there's always that the element of that you have to keep up. Right. And you have to like, you're, you're, you're not going to do quite the same disciplined practice. Um, but you know, and also if, um, if you're doing it by yourself, um, set your phone up, uh, you know, to film you and, uh, and you know, you'll be amazed at what, oftentimes is the difference between what you think you're doing and what you're actually doing. Uh, you know, when I'm, when I'm working with athletes one-on-one, I I'm constantly using my phone as a, as a tool, you know, filming and then showing them in slow motion. So, you know, they can see like, Oh, if I move my body in this way, all of a sudden I unlock that skill. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Patrick, it was a real pleasure talking to you and I appreciate all the tips and I hope for the listener, they're getting a lot out of it and we'll take their riding to the next level here in 2021. Yeah, make it your year. So big thanks to Patrick for sharing all those great tips with you. I hope you learned as much as I did in that conversation. And I appreciate you spending a little time with us this week. If you're interested in connecting with Patrick, you can certainly hit up the speedscience.com website to learn more about him and his coaching services, as well as the YouTube channel that we referenced. He's also an active participant in the Ridership Forum, where you can join at www.theridership.com. It's been amazing to see the Ridership Forum grow so quickly and the quality of daily interactions just accelerate so rapidly. It's fun connecting with others online. The goal of the forum is pretty simple. We want to create a global resource for gravel and adventure cycling enthusiasts to connect, but also to connect in person. That's going to be a big push for us when we get through this pandemic is building tools and resources so that riders can discover other riders and routes. So come on over to the ridership. It's totally free to join. We'd love to have you. We've got riders from all over the world. And it's also a place where I'm gaining a lot of interesting ideas for future podcasts. So if you have recommendations there, you can hit me up directly within the forum via direct message. And we also have a sub channel dedicated directly to the gravel ride podcast. So with all that said, thanks again for spending some time with us. That's it for this week until next time. Here's to finding some dirt under your wheels.